Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. As we continue our series, our new series, this is the second week called Red and Blue. And, and yes, you see a little bit of more technology here, and we're going to hope it goes well better than it did earlier today. But the whole point of the technology is hopefully that those of you who are joining us online, you can follow along a bit better and maybe it can be a little bit more interactive for you. So we're continuing to, to try to do a bit better for those of you who, who need to stay at home and aren't going to be able to join us, of course, next week when we invite others back. But during this series, if you don't know and you can't tell, we're talking about politics. We're talking about politics and following Jesus. If you missed last week, you may want to go back and check that out. We, we had a lot to talk about. And this week, I asked you to share with me your favorite superhero. And uh, just growing up, you know, growing up, or if you could have one superpower, not many people really responded with if they could have one superpower. I think that they thought it'd be a little self-revealing. I don't know. But one deacon, right? I love this one. One deacon said Thor. I'll let you deacons figure out who that was. Scott said Captain Planet. Now, I completely forgot about Captain Planet. Y'all remember that song? Captain Planet, he's our hero. Okay, I guess that ages me or describes how young I am. But Captain Planet, I guess he likes Priuses and things like that. And then we had some people said Batman. Check this out. And I got a picture of this. Someone said Batman, but I don't, I don't think Batman's really a superhero, is he? What does he have? What's super? He's rich. That's about it. I don't know if he's a superhero. I'll take that superpower, though. I also had, we had, what else? Superman, Iron Man, Catwoman, He-Man. I forgot about He-Man. I didn't think about that. And I was like, He-Man was a good one. Then we had Wonder Woman. I had Mighty Mouse. Yeah, someone, that was someone's favorite. And Popeye. I never thought of Popeye as a superhero. It did make me want to eat spinach, though. I'm not going to lie. And then Lone Ranger. And the person who said Lone Ranger said, you might not know who that is. Yes, I know who Lone Ranger is. I'm not that Young because there were reruns. So I got to see the reruns of Lone Ranger and Tonto and all that kind of stuff. But for me, my favorite superhero, if you're wondering, it was the Ninja Turtles, okay? I loved the Ninja Turtles. And then when I started talking about this, I was like, I don't, I don't know if the Ninja Turtles are really a superhero because their superpower is being human. You thought about that? They're turtles. That be, and I said, so maybe that doesn't count. So if I had to pick one, it was going to be, it'd be Wolverine. I don't know if you know who that is. And it happened to be Gary's favorite too. And I thought that that should have been an interview question. It wasn't, but I thought it would have made a good one. But Wolverine, I really liked him because he could be a regular person. He could heal. He had these cool claws that came out. And he was kind of like rough and tough, didn't follow the rules. And I'll let you psychology majors figure that one out or, or think through that one about me. And, but I just, I just liked him. But growing up, like our imagination goes wild and our imagination just takes off when we think about superheroes and these people who can stop evil and we're drawn to these people who have more than human-like abilities because thinking maybe they can help get things right. Maybe they can stop evil. Maybe if I had those powers or, or maybe they would inspire me to, to stand up for injustices of the world. One of the hardest things you find out when you get older is that, well... Superheroes, they're not real. Those superpowers aren't 
possible. But just because superheroes aren't real, it doesn't quench our desire for someone to get it right. It doesn't quench our desire because we live in this fallen, broken world and there's evil and it runs rampant and we have natural disasters like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. And so we just think, well, we know superheroes can't do it. We know no one has superpowers. So instead of that, we start looking to a hero. We figure, well, maybe just a hero can get it right. Maybe these people that we admire for their courage and their abilities and their achievements and their qualities, we think, well, maybe they'll do it right. I mean, I can't do it, but with all this evil, all this injustice, maybe they will get it right. So we vote for them. So we listen to them. We think, well, because it easily turns into our politicians. Well, we hear what they say and we hear what they're gonna do. So we say, well, they, maybe they'll get it right. So we put on the hat. We put the flag on our garage or we put the signs in our yards. We watch their speeches. We tell everybody else what they're going to accomplish and we trust them. We think, oh, when they get in, when they get in, they're going to do it. When they get in, they'll fix it. We think, we put our hope, well, we put our trust in these, these people. And I worked this, through this a lot this week and, and I try to soften the way I'm about to say this and I don't think there's a soft way to say it. And so I guess if, if that's you and, and that's how you view this political season, I just wanna let you know that friend, you may be in danger of worshiping a human because what is worship if it's not praising, trusting and hoping in? What is worse if it's not seeking help from somebody to save you and fix things? Whether you realize it or not, many of you, maybe not you, maybe your friend or maybe your in-law, right? That person, they may be in great danger of people or human worship. And all I ask for you today is not to tune me out. You can argue with me. You can get upset at me. You can say, well, Brian, I never do that. I just really think this candidate. And I understand that. But I beg you to just follow along with me. And before you write that email, Let's listen to what the Bible says. Because the thing about worship is, a lot of times we don't define it the way the Bible defines it. You see, worship isn't just showing up in a church service and singing of songs. Worship is much more than that. Worship includes singing, but the Bible says worship is also praising and trusting and putting our hope in. So let me ask you, do you express approval or admiration for a candidate? Like, do you tell everybody how great they are? Do you relish in what they've done? Well, that's the definition of praise. Do you believe in the reliability, the truth, and the ability of your candidate that they're going to get it done? That's the definition of trust. And do you have a feeling of expectation that certain things are gonna happen if they get in? That if they win, certain things will definitely change or definitely get better? Well, that is hope. And if you're praising, if you're trusting in, if you're hoping in in your candidate, you are in fact worshiping them. And this is far more common than we think. It'd be far more of a human issue than we'd like to admit. But lucky enough for us, the psalmist hits this issue head on. The psalmist gets out in front of it and he gives us a prescription or what we need to do because we're not the first and we're not gonna be the last culture that thinks maybe this leader will actually get it right. 
So here's the prescription. Here's what he says. I'll tell you number one. It says this, praise God. The first thing you do is praise God. Look what the psalmist says. Psalms 146, one through two, it says, praise the Lord. That means hallelujah, by the way, if you didn't know. That, that, this says hallelujah. It just says, that's the translation. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. The psalm opens up with us speaking and crying out to God about his goodness and his greatness. You see, the psalmist calls us to praise in three ways. And I love that praise in three ways. It just rhymes. It's easy to remember. But three ways. First, he calls us to corporately praise. The psalmist calls us to corporately grab our attention, grab us to refocus on the Lord. And so if you're praising your candidate, if you're thinking about them, the psalmist says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And then he says, he says um, praise in my soul. Look at that. He says, praise the Lord in my soul, which is a call to personally praise. When you're praising the Lord, it comes from deep within. It comes from the insides. It's that emotional response you get from praise. I was telling Scott this song that just came out that hopefully you're going to hear next week if he doesn't argue too much about it. This song like really invoked a personal, like intimate thing inside my soul. It stirred my soul. That's what I told him. I said, Scott, the song just stirred my soul. And I hope you've experienced things like that with music because music has a way to invoke the soul like nothing else can. But what's important about that song is it stirred my heart to the goodness and the greatness of God. See, a lot of times when we sing music, we can get emotions like, like nostalgic, like that feeling, nostalgia. We can confuse that emotion with praise. Right, we can hear songs that we're used to, songs that we grew up, and it can evoke this good response. We can get kind of emotional. It can take us back when things were easier. There's a big difference between nostalgia and praise. When you're praising, it fills your heart with the goodness and greatness of God. So when you're singing those songs, if it takes you back then or back when or that person, that's not praise. That's just helping you remember something else. When it fills your heart and your soul with the goodness and the greatness of God, that's praise. Sometimes we need to turn off the talk radio. Sometimes we need to turn off the news and we just need to praise. Because he is the only one worthy of our praise. And then he says, he says, I will praise the Lord all my life. So it's a commitment to continually praise. So we are to praise the Lord because he is the only one worthy of our praise. See, the Apostle Paul says it like this. And if you didn't know boasting and praising, they can be translated the same. Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1. 131, he says, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The psalmist also says, Psalms 44, 8, God, we make in our boast, excuse me, in God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. See, when it comes to having pride in the achievements of, when we want to show pride, it shouldn't be about a candidate. It shouldn't be about this person. It should always be about boasting in the Lord. I mean, imagine if you share Jesus as much as you're sharing this political person's views. Imagine if we share Jesus' agenda and his plan to save rather than this person. So Paul says, boast in God. And then the Psalm's gonna hit us pretty hard. He says this, do not push to trust, put your trust in humans. And this may hit you a little bit hard. He says this, 
Well, do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. I love that he uses the word prince here. I absolutely love it because a prince isn't the king. He's directly speaking about somebody who's talking about what will happen when they're in charge. Next term or when I'm in office, that's what we're hearing about right now is the next time, not right now, right? But soon if I get in or if I can continue, they're talking like a prince, they're talking future. But the psalmist says, no, do not put your trust in leaders, in humans, because they can't save. No human can actually redeem you. No human can actually save you. You should never look to a person to provide your needs because they're immortal, they'll die, and their plans will go with them. And what's amazing about this is that a prince or a king, when, when they come into office, they would do it for their life or unless they got seized. But for us, we put our trust and we put our hope in a candidate who's here for what, four to eight years? And then what happens when the next person comes in? They change everything. It just, he says, don't, don't put your hope, don't put your trust, don't, don't put that in them. They can't save you. See, there's a reason why the common saying is never meet your hero. How many times has your hero failed you? How many times have you watched that personal TV or that news story that came out where it's another leader who everybody looked to that has just failed? And when those guys fail, they fail hard. There's a reason why they say don't meet your hero. Years ago, but before I was a pastor, there was a person, he went to, to Charlottesville, it was a town near us where UVA is, and he was coming to speak in a college town. It was a pretty, very, actually very, very popular pastor, and me and my friends went, we were excited, and we sat through the show, excuse me, me, my wife, Jessica, and, and another couple went, and we watched him, and he, he did just a fabulous job, it was a great speech, and then at the end, we did a book signing, I was pretty excited, I usually don't care, but it was kind of kind of cool to meet this, this guy in person. And we went up and I was kind of telling him I was in ministry and Jessica was standing here and um, he was signing the book and he could have cared less about me. And I was just looking and he was just staring at Jessica. I was like, this is, this is kind of awkward. And he signed the book and then when we left, he made this inappropriate comment to my wife. And we were like, oh, he didn't see that one coming. Like, he just hit on my wife in front of me. That was super weird. It makes you feel uncomfortable I'm talking about it. How do you think I felt when I was there? But to be honest, I said, well, I can't blame him. I think she's pretty cute too. So I just kind of let it go and we moved on. But how many times have you met someone who you thought they're gonna get it right? They got it just to meet them to go, hmm. They don't put your trust in human beings. You see, the common problem each one of us faces, we wanna be in charge. It started at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said, don't do something. They were supposed to serve under God. They were supposed to serve on behalf of God, but they chose to take power on their own. They said, no, we got this. And it didn't work out for them. And the common problem from then on out, if we know we can't be in charge, the common problem is, well, then we want the leader who looks and sounds like us to be in charge. Is this an extension of the first problem? The nation of Israel, we see they do this. They were developed by God to be the light into the world. The nation of Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were supposed to be different than everybody else, but what did they want? You remember? Remember, they were a nation where God was in charge, God was the king. 
And they had prophets and mediators who God would speak through and they would speak on behalf of God and then the people would talk to them and they would talk to God for them. It was just a mediating role, but the true king was God. Do you remember what the nation of Israel said? They said, we want a king. They said, Samuel, we want a king like the other nations have. Samuel, we want a king that will lead us in battle like the other nations have. Well, Samuel, he heard this and he wasn't too happy about it. Look what happens. He goes to the Lord, says this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not that they have rejected, excuse me, it's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. You see, Samuel's taking it personally. He's like, Lord, I thought I've done a good job, but they rejected me and my family. I know my kids don't have it all together, but what's this about? The Lord says, no, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. See, when we look to these other peoples or we got it together, we're really rejecting God. You see, they wanted to be like the other nations, but they weren't supposed to be like the other nations. We as Christians, we are to be different. They wanted a king to fight their battles, but the Lord said, I will fight your battles. See, we have a lot in common. Although we have a different situation, we should not look to humans to save us. We should not put our hope in. We should not put our trust in them because in effect, we're rejecting Jesus as king. When we think they can fix it, we're rejecting him as king. And you see, the problem that, that helps me work through this about leaders or, or looking through the, the history of Israel is you look at King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David was a guy who was supposed to have it all together. And King David did pretty good, but he also failed pretty bad. And I figure if he couldn't get it right, well, good luck for anybody else. Because he was known as a, a man after God's own heart. You see, there's only one person to put your trust in. And the Psalms tells us, well, God's the creator. Look at how he says this. He said, blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob. That's a way of saying Israel. Whose hope is in their Lord, their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. The psalmist says, blessed. Blessed are those who look to God for help. Meaning the way to be blessed is when you put your hope in the Lord. Because whoever you're looking to help you, whoever you're thinking will get it right, there is where you're putting your hope. And the psalmist says, no, no, no. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in God. He's the one who created it all. In fact, he's the only one, and this is important, he's the only one that remains faithful forever. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the past couple of months when we've been talking about things like this, it just blows my mind on how often it talks about God being the maker of heaven and earth. I mean, that's like Genesis 1-1, isn't it? That's why it's so important that you believe that very beginning, that in the beginning God created. Because if you struggle with that, if you don't get that, it's gonna be very hard to get the rest. But when we believe he created everything and he's in control of everything, it makes it that much easier. And so we put our hope in him. We put our hope in the creator because what that means is that means that God can use whatever candidate he wants to get his will done. That means God can use the candidate you like or God can use the candidate you don't like. What this means is when your hope is in God, it means that the person that you do not like 
can win and you don't have to lose your mind. It means you can keep functioning. And I know you think, well, the world's gonna be over. I promise you it won't be. I promise you one person isn't that strong. You say, well, Brian, the country's gonna be over. No, it won't. They're not that strong. The country will remain as long as the Lord wants it to remain. There is not one person who is more powerful than him. There's not one person, especially the president, who can just do those things. The fate of our country lies in the hope and the help we seek from the Lord. Because he is faithful. Human beings lie, human beings die. But God is faithful. And then he tells us about the nature of his faithfulness. Look at this. The nature of his faithfulness. Read this. Psalms 146, 7 through 9. It says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. And he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the, wicked, and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. What an amazing God we have. I would really challenge you to put Psalms 146 to memory, especially during election season. Maybe read it every day to remind yourselves. But I hope this passage brings to mind passages like Isaiah 61. I hope it brings to mind Luke chapter four, where Jesus quotes Isaiah six, uh, 61. And it talks about God being this. And Jesus wrote a passage very similar. And he sat down in the midst of the people and said, today this has been fulfilled. Today with me, this has come to true. You see, the psalmist here is describing the father, but it not only describes the father, it also points to the psalm. This entire psalm points us, says, no, no, don't trust in humans. Cyrus Psalm points us to the true king, the one king who will come and save. Because remember, Jesus says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. It's like father like son. See, a couple of weeks ago, we had family pictures and it was one of those things we set up and we do the beach because we love the beach and uh, it just makes for great pictures, we think. And so we went out there and when we got the pictures back, I kept looking through and I was like, why is Tyler squinting so much? I said, he has his eyes closed the entire time. I said, it was the morning. It was, wasn't bright. There isn't a glare. Why is he squinting? I have a picture for you. Yeah, I said, why is he squinting? Look. I blew this up. I was like, why does it look like he has his eyes closed? This is ridiculous. And Troy, he, we called him kind of like half smile, but he has the same to him. I said, why are my boy's eyes closed? I said, they just ruined all the pictures. Then I kept looking. I said, well, looks like I have my eyes closed, like father, like son. See, these two have their eyes wide open. But when I smile, it looks like I close my eyes. And so I was getting mad at him for being like his father. And what's interesting about this, I'll take it off so it's not too weird for you. Tyler wasn't smiling like that because we said, look, you got to pick to either be like Jessica or be like me. He wasn't smiling like that because Troy and Daniela, they started having debates and Tyler sat there like, all right, how do I smile? What does this look like? I'm growing up. No, no. Tyler's smiling like that because it's his DNA. He can't help it. He's acting like his father and doesn't even mean to because like father, like son. And what I'm getting at is this, like father, like son, let's go back. Like father, like son, like you. Like father, like son, like you. 
You see, the things we just read about in the Psalms are the things that are close to God's hearts, the things that point us to Jesus, which means it's the things that we must be concerned about. You don't need a political party to tell you those things are important. You don't need a leader to say this is what you should do. We should already care about these issues because they're the things that are close to God's heart. They're the things that Jesus was about. Reading this psalm, again, let me go back to it. Is it up here? Yeah. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free and the Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Those things we don't need a candidate to tell us to do. Those things we don't need a leader to tell us to do because God has already said, this is my heart. This is what I'm about. You see, Jesus is, it. Jesus is the king and what he's interested in, we should be interested in. Like father, like son, like you. Which means you should care about protecting the oppressed. We should protect those who've been mistreated. This isn't a political thing, this is a gospel thing. As Christians, we should work for the good of all people. You should care about feeding the hungry because not everybody is as fortunate as you and you should be willing to give back. You should care about bringing righteous to the justice system. We should work towards a society where people are treated fairly, where people can grow and flourish. And you should care about bringing both physical and spiritual healing to others. We, of course, cannot do this on our own. We can only bring spiritual healing through Christ. You should care about exalting those with character, not just those with a lot of likes, not just those who are celebrities, not just those who are powerful. We should be exalting those who are humble, who are well, good character. You should care about righteousness, which means we should be concerned about the things of God. The things that God say is okay, we should be concerned about. Or the things that God say is sin and evil, we should be concerned about. We shouldn't apologize for following God, which means we can say sin is sin. As Christians, we, we can do that. But you should care about providing help to the foreigner, whether it's in our country or outside of our country. You should care about providing financial help to orphans and widows and, and people who can't take care of themselves. And you should care about halting wickedness. Because it's like father, like son, like you. You see, this is God. This is how he's faithful. This is what we see him doing. This is what we should strive to do. But if you heard me read those verses or you, hold me, or you heard me talk about like what that means we should do, you probably hear the tension in the passage. You probably hear a little bit of red and you probably hear a little bit of blue. And that's what's so interesting about what our politicians do. They all take a little bit of Jesus and they polarize issues that are close to God's heart. No leader's gonna get it exactly right. But did you notice how both sides can claim they're on the side of the Bible? Both sides can take a little bit out of it and say, this is what we stand for. But as Christians, we should stand for all of those issues because Jesus stood for those issues. And if you've tuned me out, I need you to tune me back in. This is very important, what we're gonna talk about next. It's because our allegiance is to the king. Jesus didn't establish a government to carry out his will. Jesus didn't establish this leader to say, hey, go on and continue preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus established his church. He established his church to go on a worldwide agenda for him, which means your allegiance must be to him first. Look at what Paul says, Romans 6, 17. He says, thanks be to God that 
through, though you used to be slaves to sin, right? You used to be slaves to this idea that leaders can get it right. Though you used to be a slave to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teachings that has now claimed your allegiance. Our allegiance must be to Jesus. You cannot claim allegiance to two people, to two kings or two leaders. Paul says it like this also, Romans 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is what? I hope you've heard that before. Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, here's what's so important about this idea of Jesus being Lord. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this, but this is a very politically loaded statement because Paul is telling a church in the middle of the Roman Empire, in the middle of the place, the most powerful nation they've ever seen, the, the people who took Jesus and executed him as a common criminal, Paul is telling them to declare with their mouth, does that mean privately in their heart? No, that means publicly out loud, Jesus is Lord. That means Caesar is not. And they have found inscriptions, this is actual evidence they found that used to hail Nero as Lord, which was the emperor during Paul's time. Or Nero is Lord of the entire world. Paul says, no, 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 as a Christian, you're gonna stand in the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. Remind you of a nation you've ever heard of? And you don't claim that Caesar is Lord, rather you claim that Jesus is is Lord. He's who we put our hope in. He's who we put our trust in. As Christians, our allegiance isn't to a red or blue. Our allegiance is to Jesus. He is the king. And I didn't mean to, but I wore this shirt and what's interesting about it is on camera and everybody else, they think it's purple. Do you know what color it is? It's red and blue. But when you take red and blue and put them together, what do you get? Ah, purple. The color of royalty. If you want to boast, boast in Jesus. Because the gospel actually works. Andy Stanley has this quote, I love it. He says, remember, it was Christianity, not the Republican, not the Democrat party that shaped Western civilization. It was the teaching of Jesus, not political parties that laid the groundwork for a modern notion of justice fairness, and dignity for all. Like father, like son, and like you. And the psalmist tells us the way forward. He says, the Lord reigns. A king reigns. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion. O Zion means the people of God. It's, it's a way of saying the community of God's people. O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. When you get this, when you understand what the psalm's saying, he says, there's only one thing to do. It's scream hallelujah. It's cry out and praise to God. When you have it settled that your loyalty and allegiance is to Jesus Christ, and when you've placed your hope and your trust and your praise in him, you can always focus on carrying out his agenda no matter who's in charge, no matter what country you're in, no matter what time period it is, you can continue to focus on him because leaders come and go, but the Lord reigns forever. So in closing... I ask you, will you put your trust in him? Will you put your trust in the only king worth worshiping? Will you put your praise in him? If not, your only option is going to be cynicism and despair because leaders will let you down. No leader's going to get it right. It's impossible. Only Jesus can do that. 
Will you not put your hope and your trust in him? Politicians, intellectuals, celebrities, scientists, all of them will let you down. They're very limited, but God who reigns will never fail you because he is the only one utterly good, utterly powerful, utterly trustworthy. He's the only one worth saying, hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Father, we repent from trusting in and putting our hope in and praising human beings. Father, we live in a country that would be so strange to biblical writers where we are actually able to vote who leads us. However, Father, we still run into the trap of idolizing humans. Father, help us vote well, but keep us from worshiping people. Father, forgive us where we failed. Forgive us for promoting, promoting people's agendas over yours. Father, we do. We lift up our leaders. We lift up our politicians. We lift up all of them, and we pray that they can be united, and we pray they seek your guidance and direction. But Father, help us be first and foremost ambassadors for you. Father, if there's anyone listening who hasn't settled in a charge, who is really amped up about this election, who's really worried and concerned, Father, I pray that they would give you their life. Lord, even if they've been a Christian for 30, 40 years, if they find themselves too overwhelmed in politics, I pray that you draw them in. Because the gospel tells us that Jesus is Lord. And if we believe he is Lord and believe that he rose from the dead, that we will be saved. And Father, we trust in you for that salvation. So Father, help us be different. Help us not fall in the trap that Israel did, thinking that some human leader is going to fix it. Help us focus on you. Father, we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.